0: Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. All right, ho, 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 Merry Christmas. Ho, ho. Ho, 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 Merry Christmas. We love Christmas. I'm a Christmas guy. Are you a Christmas guy? (laughs) Uh, Not particularly. Not particularly. I'm a a Boxing (laughs) Day guy. That's right. I'm a Boxing Day guy. I forgot. How are you today, producer Joe? I have to ask you that or I get a thousand emails from people. Ho ho ho, we ain't got no snow. Yeah, well this is Florida, so no one even knows what snow is down here. They're like, what is that white stuff? What if that if it happened, people would be all confused. If it wasn't for the internet, they'd think there was like a volcanic eruption. They would think there was, like, ash coming out of the sky. You know, the internet, they'd figure it out pretty quickly. So, yeah, it's nice and warm down here, 73 degrees today. So, uh, you know, I love Florida weather. It's beautiful. That's so why I moved down here. Yeah. But uh, welcome to the Dan Bongino Show on this uh, Christmas day. I told you we'd, uh, we'd give you a show. And I think I got some good stuff for you today. I got a lot of emails yesterday, Joe, after the disastrous day the stock market had. Oh. Um, Dan, you got to explain what's going on. You know, is it panic time? Um No, it's not. It's not. Um, So I'm going to go through today what I think is going on with the economy. I'm going to also go through the best uh, fake news stories of 2018. Half tip Amber Athey over at the uh, Daily Caller who put together the definitive list of fake news for 2018. So it should be a fun show. I'm hoping you all having a great Christmas morning. Hope you and your kids all uh, got a good visit from Santa. I know my kids had a blast. So. They loved it. All right. Today's show brought to you by Zebra, thezebra.com slash Dan. Or if you're Joe, the zebra, thezebra.com slash Dan. <laughs> don't they a call them Zed. zebras over there they in call the them UK? zebras, but I know it's the alphabet's A to Z. Yes. <laughs> Is that right? right? He's in the producer's I shouldn't even ask. I you spent a little time over there, you know? Yeah. Your accents are just, I, mean, I can't do that. I can't. I well, can't. I've tried and I get like a couple words in and I'm terrible with the accent. This, like the, my this, Bill these Clinton are the kind accent. of things you do if you're a fool. Yeah, no, this is the kind <laughs> when you're in radio for as long as you are, you develop these mad skills, bro. Mad skills, brah. Are they calling brah? B- Alright, so bra. uh, right. it's been reported that Americans <laughs> are overpaying on car insurance. Why? By over $21 billion. There's no excuse for that. By searching for a better, uh, searching for a better deal, it could take hours and results in a barrage of unwanted spam calls that'll drive you mad. Until now. Thanks to TheZebra.com. TheZebra.com. TheZebra.com is the nation's leading car insurance comparison site because it's the only place you can compare hundreds of policies from all of the top carriers and choose the best for you. You. Plus, they will never sell your information to the spammers, so they won't drive you crazy, and you won't get all those unwanted calls and emails where you have to hang up on people, and it's really uncomfortable. I hate doing that. Hello, would you like... And I'm like, do I click them? I don't want to do this. It's not right. But I have to. You won't have that problem. You just answer a few questions on a simple, fast form, and they'll find you the best rates and coverage in your state. TechCrunch said it best. The Zebra is kayak for auto insurance. Nice. It's easy. It's quick. It's just an honest way to compare car insurance quotes from all the top providers at once. Support our sponsors. They support us. Go to thezebra.com slash Dan. That's thezebra.com slash Dan. Thezebra.com slash Dan spelled the T-H-E-Zebra. Z-E-B-R-A.com slash Dan. Check it. Check it, kiddos. Yeah. All right. What's going on in the stock market? Duh. A little bit of a bad day yesterday. Nothing like a Christmas Eve 650-point round. I'm not laughing. As I, <laughs> I, I just uh, the emails were voluminous. You know why my show was pretty heavy on economics uh, yeah. for a very long time. We still cover it. Spygate tended to take over some of our attention for a while. But uh, this is a worthy time, especially during Christmas, this wonderful day, to tell everybody, if you, you want my opinion, I'm going to give it to you. It's not good, but I don't think it's panic time. Let me tell you first what is going on. Uh, A lot of you know this already. I got a lot of really bright financial people. Uh, So uh, if you do and you agree, send me an email. If you don't, you disagree, send me an email. I'll read it. Folks, people are just chasing some yield right now. I mean, it's the history of humankind is to make money and make your money make money on its own. If you can make money by taking the capital you've accumulated and lending it out and getting an interest rate, a return that surpasses uh, inflation, you are making money based on your accumulated capital by not doing anything other than making investment decisions. You're not digging ditches anymore. That has been the story of humankind. It's a story of economic growth. If you have money and you have a big million dollar idea, what do you do, Joe? You take your money and you put it into your idea. If you don't have a million dollar idea, but you think other companies in the stock market That are publicly traded companies or if you want to be a venture capitalist or whatever, private financing, you can then take your money and invest it elsewhere and you can chase yield on your money. You can chase return and you want to make more money with a rising interest rate environment. We're in a rising interest rate environment. They just raised the rate. It's now 2.5. The Federal Reserve just raised rates to 2.5 percent. In a rising rate environment, Joe, there are, owing, there are going to be other investment options outside of the stock market where you will be able to get yield on your money for less risk. Now, having said, having you know, having stated the obvious, there, two point five percent is not a historically high interest rate. I think in the while the interest rates are very low, uh, money was flowing freely in the quantitative easing environment with the extremely low interest rates over the last decade or so. Money was easy to find. The interest rate on money wasn't hard to to pay back. They were historically low. People were chasing money where they couldn't find yield elsewhere. They couldn't find a return because a lot of these interest rates are benchmarked to the federal funds rate. So if you can't find a return on anything else out there, bonds or anything, what do you do? You put your money in the stock market. Folks, again, I don't mean to oversimplify this, but sometimes... My experience being fascinated with economics and economists in general is they never give you a definitive answer and they always want to talk down to you as if you're the stupid one, when a lot of them, not all of them, are the ones who always give you the wrong answer. What what was the joke about economists? I need a one arm economist because they're always telling you, well, on one hand. But then on the other hand, they always seem to have the wrong answer. You know, other jokes. He has predicted, you know, 72 out of the last five recessions. I mean, (laughs) when you're predicting a recession every six months, too, this is what a lot of economists do. I'm not knocking them. A lot of them are very bright. I have a lot of respect for uh, Thomas Sowell, uh, Russ Roberts. Uh, You know, Bob Barrow, who did some great work on on government, uh, government bonds being net worth or not. I mean, there are a lot of good people out there who are very smart. But if they had the answers all the time, then we wouldn't constantly get this wrong. I could argue and make a pretty definitive case to you that the housing crisis we had was a function largely of a lot of loose money as well. So on the economist side, I know I'm going to get some emails back from people. I'm just asking, like, be civil about it and understand that people like myself, who my education's in finance, that's what I did my business degree in, but economics is my personal passion, that other people out there have alternative views based on history and common sense. We have flooded the money, we have flooded the market with cheap money for a long time. That money wants to make money. Is this making sense, Joe? That money wasn't making money in other interest rate denominated vehicles because interest rates were historically low. Right. So if you're trying to make money on your money and you're not making money on interest rates and bonds and things like that in treasury denominated assets, where are you going to put it? You're going to put it in the stock market, which ran up stock market prices, you know, PE ratios, a lot of prices are a lot of stock market my my humble opinion: a lot of stocks are overpriced right now because people were chasing yield, which are now simply making a, you know what what I perceive to be a modest correction. Yeah, yesterday was bad. We're down quite a bit, but considering the run-up Joe we've had over the past few years, if you invested your money just you know three four years ago mm-hmm. when when some are, when some stocks were still cheap, you're still doing okay. You'll be fine in the long run. So I think it's people chasing yield who are now reversing that trend because interest rates are going up and they don't have to worry about the risk of the market so they could take their money out in a rising interest rate environment, put it in different vehicles where the risk isn't there. I don't think it's time to panic. Now, on the interest rate front, because I'm getting a lot of feedback about this. And I, by the way, so you know, because I'm always open to alternative perspectives, unlike some other shows out there. Challenge the host all you want. Uh, In today's show notes, I have an article at the end by Lewis Woodhill, who I have tremendous respect for, and Stephen Moore, two very bright guys who completely disagree with me. I have their article up in the Washington Times saying this is a catastrophic mistake, the Fed raising interest rates. I want you to read both sides and hear me out. One of us is right and one of us is wrong. Either this is a good thing or it's a bad thing. I don't think the raising of interest rates right now Where they are is as disastrous a decision as uh, folks are letting on us. But, you know, one of the few areas I disagree with the president on. Here's why now. So first I explain why I think the market is correcting a bit. Mm -hmm. People are chasing yield. Interest rates are going up. They're simply finding other vehicles, bonds and otherwise, that don't have the risk of equities and stocks that they can catch yield on and make money on their money. I don't think it's time to panic, folks. The markers there are good. Inflation is low. The other rest of the world markets are in a lot of trouble. The United States is productive. Productivity is going up. Wages are going up. Growth rates are going up. Right now, there's only one big panic marker I see. And it's a big one. It's our debt situation. (laughs) That's right. So it's not all peaches and cream. But on the growth metrics, the United States is doing fine. When the growth rates start dipping into the negative and we start hitting recession, God forbid, recessionary numbers, then it's time to panic. The growth rates are doing just fine. Now, again, if you're retiring tomorrow and that money's invested in the stock market it's your pension, I'm not trying to minimize, make no mistake, the problems you're having right now. I'm just saying, and I'm not just saying because it's Christmas and I want you to be optimistic and all. I get that. I do. But I'm telling you that I don't believe we are in a slow growth, no growth environment. I believe stocks are correcting a bit. They'll find a floor. Once they find that floor, we'll see growth again. That growth may be, you may have bought in a little high. That growth may be a little slower. We might not shoot up to 25,000 again in a month. It may take a year. It may take seven months. It may take eight months. It may take a little more than a year. But we'll get back there. Where stock values are more commensurate with the value of the companies they represent long term. I wouldn't panic. People are simply taking money from one vehicle and putting them in another. Okay, uh, another reason not to worry, folks. There's money to loan. There's money to loan out there. When you look at what's happening in financial institutions, the this credit is not hard to find. It's just not. You know, one of the reasons you want to you want to keep uh, interest rates low. During growth periods is because you want businesses with good business opportunities, Joe, to be able to find money to invest in those opportunities, produce productive business ventures, pay their employees. Well, I get that. Mm -hmm. But there is money to loan right now. There's really no disastrous signs. You can always find some hallmarks of, hey, this could be a little bit of trouble, but. There's no disastrous signs of, of of short money, people not being able to find money to fund quality business ventures out there. Loans are available. Sorry, had to move the fan a little bit. It's getting a little hot in here. Loans are available. Money's available. Credit's available. The economy's growing. Again, not. I, I don't see any really flashing red flag. Now, again, the debt situation's bad. I don't want to minimize that. One more reason not to panic here. Ladies and gentlemen, overseas is a mess right now. Ooh, We have a global economy. We are not the only ones, U.S. citizens, looking for yield, searching for yield, and looking for ways to make money. I think that's obvious. It's not like some Dan Bongino is like, wow, really? Other people are looking to make money too? They are. The problem is how do you make money on your money as I started the show? I mean, there's ways to make money. You can work. You can develop income. What if you are at that point in your life where you developed a a large stash of capital, you want that money to earn money for you? Where are those business opportunities happening? Ladies and gentlemen, newsflash, they're happening right here in the great old USA. Oh. That's it. We are it right now. We are the hottest world economy. That's the reason money in the United States is not that hard to find right now to fund business ventures. Global capital is rushing into the United States to take advantage of the growing 3% and 4% U.S. economy. Overseas is a mess. We don't really have any competition right now. Chinese economy is not one. It's a, a lot of it's a Potemkin village anyway. A lot of the Chinese economy is a general fraud in and of itself. Um, is state, you know, state funded companies that are just a mess. Balance sheets that are awful, horrible investments. Environmental policies are really wrecking the the, the country's air quality. China is a mess right now. Japan's in a slow growth environment. You have some some hot uh, countries overseas uh, some of the Baltic states but in, in in terms of an availability and a pool of healthy companies that are growing ladies and gentlemen b- listen put hold your head up high put your chin up man you're in the United States of America whatever just like that Joe <laughs> Joe looks like Captain Morgan right now all he needs is a knee up <laughs> a knee <laughs> up in the air that's great I love that we need this video man coming soon coming don't worry soon. coming soon. Just working out the details to make it nice, nice for you. You're a United States citizen. You are in a powerhouse economy right now, growing at 4 and 3%. Money's flooding in. That's good news. That's good news. Now, to give you some historical context for a moment on these interest rates going up, I'm getting a lot of emails, surprisingly a lot of negative ones. Dan, inflation's nowhere to be found. Why are you saying these in, these interest rates are are not so bad? And you know what? Well, well, I don't get it. They shouldn't be raising interest. They're crushing the economy. They're not crushing the economy. Folks, we are going to have to, at some point, normalize normalize our, our uh, central bank policies here, our Federal Reserve policies and our interest rates. The Federal Reserve is holding trillions of dollars in assets, trillions of dollars in assets through its quantitative easing program. It is going; it bought a lot of government bonds. So, in other words, our government, our only sanctioned federal bank, essentially a quasi-government entity. I don't care what they tell you; if it's, it's a central bank, is never fully separate. It's nonsense. Our uh, the United States government essentially—that's a good question. Remind me of that. Joe, uh, Joe putting up questions here. I love this. The central bank, the United States, essentially printed money to buy its own debt, which created more debt. Why? Because we printed more money, which made your money worth less. It's called quantitative easing. We're holding uh, U.S. government denominated assets in the Federal Reserve. They're unloading that at the same time they're upping interest rates, which is leading to kind of a double whammy effect. Because when the Federal Reserve, think about it in reverse, it's easier to understand. When the Federal Reserve is printing money to buy U.S. denominated assets, it can drive interest rates down because it can buy those U.S. denominated assets and debt at a lower interest rate, right? If, if they can't sell it, then they got to up the interest rate yeah. to sell it. To, you get what I'm saying? The federal yeah. government. But if the Federal Reserve comes in and goes, you know what, we'll buy it at whatever, they can artificially lower interest rates by printing their own money. All I'm trying to say is it's a kind of a double whammy at the same time. But the danger here is we're holding hundreds of billions, trillions of dollars in assets on the federal reserve sheet that we're going to have to get rid of that. When you reverse the process of lowering interest rates by printing money, it's by default going to raise interest rates by not printing money. And a matter of fact, having to sell those bonds and absorb money out of the economy Mm -hmm. because the federal reserve is holding the bonds. They're going to have to get rid of them. Right, right, right. So it's a double whammy. This double whammy could be very bad if we hold on to this for too long. Now, is inflation at, at some critical mass now? No, not even close. It's not. But I think I can make the substantive case to you that a lot of the inflation is being tamed by the fact that when you look at things like commoditized and productivity enhancements, and you look at their, our oil revolution and our shale revolution— that, you know, this is kind of tamed our, our, our by inflation, in other words, is being hidden by productivity. Oil would be a lot more expensive right now if you compounded the inflation, if we weren't producing mm, tons of it. Productivity enhancements and things like, you know, washing machines and stuff like that and, and, and almost commoditized type items. Now, the competition and the enhancements in factory floor programming just in time uh, production scales, these products would have been a lot cheaper if it weren't for the fact that inflation creeped up. Do you get what I'm saying, Joe, that we've been so effective at producing oil, washing machines, and refrigerators that you can make a strong case that these items would have been even cheaper right now if it wasn't for inflation. But the fact that the prices are still going down Mm -hmm. a little bit makes people believe inflation is under control completely when, in fact, I don't believe it really is. I believe it's being masked by productivity enhancements, really effective uh, new, new production techniques, just in time production methods, oil production, energy prices being relatively contained. I don't believe that inflation is totally contained. And what we've seen with inflation in the past is when it creeps on you and it creeps on you fast, it's really hard to squash it. You think I'm making this up? When inflation creeped up on us, Joe, in the uh, Jimmy Carter era. I know you remember that. I do. Remember what a home mortgage was back there? Like 15% Uh. interest rates on a home mortgage? Everybody was raving about it, yeah. Everybody was terrified. Crush inflation, crush inflation. What? All the great economists didn't see it coming? The answer is no, they didn't. The conservative ones did. All the other economists, oh, don't worry about it. We'll be okay. No, we weren't okay. June 20th. 1981, inflation peaked, excuse me, the uh, the uh, the inflation rate peaked at the United States, 14.8%. 14.8%. Ew. Day over day, your money's worth less. You better spend your money today, tomorrow's worth crap. So what did Volcker do? Volcker came in, bumped the interest rate dramatically, and pretty much crushed it. Crushed inflation he had interest rates and mortgages were you know between 12 and 15% if not higher if you're going to do it do it now this was 1981 the bump up in interest rates to dramatically higher dramatically higher we're talking 10 points plus higher than we are now at 2.5% Caused the brief recession, Joe. What did it also do? It again, bumped up interest rates, made people save a bit again, not get too consumption happy. Consumption can lead to inflation. If it's incentive, it's not backed by real growth. People start buying stuff on loaned money, driving up the price of items, which causes them to borrow more money. Volcker coming in and squashing that and bumping up interest rates made people say, hey, maybe if we save this money at these elevated interest rates, we can do pretty well. Slowed down a little over-exuberance. 1981, slight recession. 1982, eh. 83 by 84, we are rocking and rolling, right for Reagan's re-election. 6% growth in 84. Twice what the... Uh, the uh, the rates are now under Trump. And it, 3%, what Trump's doing now is don't take that as a shot. It's not. 3% is good. 6% is amazing. Don't panic. We're not even close to where we were under Volcker, where money almost completely dried up. How are you going to get a mortgage at 15%? Yeah, you. That happened, folks. Happened in my lifetime. I mean I'm only 44. I remember it. Yeah. I remember my aunt Jane buying a house on what was it 62nd and Cooper Avenue or something in Glendale, and my mother telling me the mortgage was going to be like 13%. And I was always at the numbers as a kid. I was like, "Wow, that's a lot of interest." Right? The rule of 7s. You know, at 7% interest, every 10 years it debt doubles. That, f- folks. This is the, the, we're not, you understand we're not even close to that? Th- think about this, putting this in perspective. And I'm trying to keep a smiley face off a bit. Just, don't panic. I Nobody likes interest rate hikes. Nobody. I understand the president's concern. They do typically lead to some short-term recessionary because it, what does it do? It disincentivizes consumption and buying for savers because the interest rates more, you can make more. But when you save that money, where do you think the money goes? They don't burn it. The money is saved. It goes back into the economy, into really super productive companies that can take advantage of that money. Why, Joe? Think about it. Folks, listen, walk through this with me. If interest rates were 10%, who is going to borrow money at 10% if the product they're putting out there isn't going to make them 10 or 15% of their money back? The answer is nobody. So what happens at high interest rates? Companies that are struggling and only have marginal investments wind up, you know, just treading water for a while. Companies that have really good, bold ideas will borrow that money. They'll pay back the savers, a tremendous interest rate. They'll put it into products they know will succeed. Those products will change our lives, computers and AI and all of this stuff and new medical technology. And the world's a better place in the long run. It's not all bad. Think about this. In 2007, Joe, Mm in 2007, the interest rates were 5% right before we took another dive into another mini-recession. We're only at 2.5 now. In other words, historically speaking, folks, we're not even close to really high elevated interest rates. We're not. You have to squash inflation before it starts to permeate your economy, not after. One final point on this. Folks, God forbid there is a recession, even a short-lived one. You need room to cut according to traditional Federal Reserve policy. I wish they wouldn't do this, but they do. I wish we would stop doing this interest rate targeting and start keeping, uh, uh, th- you know, Scott Sumner has some interesting theories on this stuff about the ability to keep the uh, the purchasing power of the U.S. dollar uh, relatively stable instead of focusing exclusively on things like interest rates. I may be poorly summarizing his work. I'm sorry. He's very bright. Um But this room to cut in a recession has been a traditional staple of economic policy. In other words, when there's a recession, lower interest rates allow people to get their hands on money at a cheaper interest rate. Folks, how are we going to lower interest rates at 2.5 percent? There's almost nowhere to go. We were at 5 percent right before the dip last time. If we raise rates now, when we can absorb a bit of it. It is a good thing. It gives us some leeway. Again, I don't mean to sound Pollyanna-ish, but I think we're in a good spot. If we can get our hands on government spending, Trump has been great on regulation. He has been great on tax cuts. On deregulation, I should say. He's been great on tax cuts. He's been great on immigration policy. He's been fantastic on bringing a semblance of justice back to our court systems. All I ask is be patient. You're going to have some stock market corrections. You may have a mini dip, a mini recession. Remember what happened in 81 with Reagan. They were calling for Reagan's head. And by 84, he won 49 out of 50 states. He had tamed inflation successful businesses had got their hands on money and built out productive capabilities, new products came into the market, your money bought more. Remember that. Did you know inflation's not a good thing, but def- deflation's not always an awful thing either. Inflation means your money buys less, right? Simple as that. Inflation's great for debtors, deflation's great for savers. Why? Because deflation, your money buys more. I'm not saying there's deflation debt spirals and things like that where you rush to pay off debt quicker because the debt's worth more too, right? I get that. Think about it, right? If you owe a lot of money, inflation's your best friend because your money's worth less. But so is the debt. So is what you owe. Mm -hmm. If you make $100,000 a year in an inflationary environment, your $100,000 buys less. But if you owe $300,000 on your credit card, you owe a whole lot less too because that $300,000 is worth less. The opposite happens in deflation. That debt you have is worth more, harder to pay off because the dollar's worth more. But your money's worth more too. It incentivizes saving, building up capital, it's saving, putting that putting that money back into economy that can build out a productive capability. This is not all bad. Listen, I don't usually recommend um, books because they're, well, I do sometimes, but they're only if they're really good. There's a book out there by Hunter Lewis called Why Keynes Was Wrong. It's very readable. It's very real. You can get through it in a couple days. Why Keynes was wrong by Hunter Lewis. Read the book. It is a fantastic manifesto on everything I'm telling you now about how deflation isn't always bad, how inflation isn't always great, how the, 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 this common knowledge out there, I use air quotes there, that you know, inflation's a horrible thing all the time and in every circumstance and deflation is an, is an awful thing all the time in every circumstance. Read it for a perspective on what that means. It's really good. It explains a lot of what I just said. Very, very good book. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. hey, put Dan, that question. Uh, a listener uh, writes in Calvin Tilbor from uh, Fishhook, New Jersey. He, he says say? he really likes to listen to you when you're talking about the economy, but yes. he wants to know what, what it would take to scare you about this economy. What it would take to scare me. That's a great, you know, I like this segment. Maybe we should do this once in a while on holiday specials where you, where you take questions. You know, tweet them to producer Joe. He's at Joe Haas with yeah, a Z1. All right, I'm going to answer Let me get to this read. Go uh, I'm going to answer that. Hey, dog food companies claim to use natural ingredients, but what kind of beef or carrots can sit in a paper bag for a year? Ah, eh. nasty. We can't eat processed food for every meal and be our healthiest, and neither can your dog, not your doggie. Introducing The Farmer's Dog, the company helping dogs live long and healthy lives with nutritious, fresh, ready-to-serve dog meals delivered directly to your door. Clever marketing has convinced Americans to feed unhealthy kibble and canned mush. That stuff is gross. But The Farmer's Dog is different. Complete a short online quiz. It's really easy to do. And a vet-developed plan is created just for your dog. My adopted dogs linda and baby love it it's not linda like the name linda it's linda which is spanish for beautiful that my my mother-in-law's colombian people say oh, why did you name a dog linda that's a woman it's not it's linda linda lindisima we love those doggies and they love the farmer's dog food arrives at your door in pre-portion packs ready to open in ports. easy and it looks and smells like real food you know why because it is real food it's not a trick That's it. And food matters. Studies show that adding fresh food to your doggy's diet can reduce some cancers by close to 90%. Start feeding your dog better today. Try a week free at thefarmersdog.com slash Dan. Plus, you get free shipping. Get your first week free. Free. We all love free. At thefarmersdog.com slash Dan. Thefarmersdog.com slash Dan. My mother-in-law's dogs absolutely love it. Although once in a while, baby boy, the Maltese Yorkie mix, once in a while, once in a while he pushes the peas aside. Once in a while. But I tell him, eat them veggies. Eat them veggies. Eat the veggies, baby. <laughs> baby boy. The dog follows me around. So he's licking my feet, though. It's kind of weird. <laughs> always. Yeah. He's always at my heel. Always. I, it's unbelievable. He never leaves my side. When I do the show and they're here, he's right at my at my feet. Every time. Baby boy. Okay, so what would scare me? That's a good question. I yeah. think we should do this segment once in a while. That would be great, Joe. Um, here's what would scare me: at some point, we are going to reach a catastrophic debt situation with our national debt. That is, we are not going to be able to grow out of it. Um, how far away we are from that from that point in our debt? So, hold on, Joe. Sorry, DefCon Eight. What? <laughs> Did you hear that in the background? Yes. Let me change that. It for, fell out the chair. I know. Sorry, folks. I have. You don't have to cut that out. I just you know what? Usually Joe cuts it out, but in the interest of editing, because it's Christmas, I have my pool hose in my pool, and because uh, it's it hasn't rained in Florida in forever, <laughs> and I put the alarm on, and, and I forgot that that was supposed to go. I forgot I was uh, doing the show. So <laughs> crazy. What would scare me? So. Sooner or later, we're going to reach this catastrophic debt point. Now, the best analogy I can give to you is an analogy with regard to your personal finances, because when it comes to macroeconomics, people sometimes have a tough time making the transition. They think the micro and the macro are so unbelievably different that the spheres don't marry up at some point, but they do in many respects. So the best way I could say it is, let's say you're a 21-year-old, Harvard computer scientist, and you are a genius. You are a world-class computer scientist, right? But you're 21. You have no assets. You have no job. You're a ninja, right? No income, no assets, no job. <laughs> Say you have a credit card, and in order you finance your education and your lifestyle, you're pouring onto that credit card 150, dollars $200,000 a year. For all all four years in college, two years of grad school. You're upwards of, by the time you're done, close to a million dollars in debt. You have not made a dollar yet. Can we all agree that would be catastrophic? Yeah. But is it? No, seriously, is it? I mean, think about it. I I wasn't a trick question. You're right. In in terms of me and you looking at it, Joe, because neither you nor I are genius computer scientists that went to Harvard, right? Joe and I worked really hard and got to where we are now, but uh, it was a lot of, you know people who helped us along the way. If you really are the world's premier computer scientist with a graduate degree in AI, computers, quantum mechanics, and you are it, ladies and gentlemen, is that million dollars you've accumulated, whatever, in a bar tab, education, room, board, food, is it really that bad? And the answer is probably not, Joe. Mm. For you and I, it is. And our listeners, many of us, yeah, it would be terrible. It Uh, would ruin your entire life. But the chances are this kid is going to graduate Harvard Graduate School, get his first job, and he's going to be courted by every major tech company in the business. He's probably going to have roughly five six $600,000 worth of salary, if not more. While he's producing patents, he's going to leave after two years, start his own company, whatever, uh, diddlydoo.com, whatever it is. He's probably going to make another couple million dollars there, and the guy will be worth, I don't know, by his 30s, 10000 20000000 Oh, okay. So... On a good note, because you asked me what would scare me. On a good note, debt isn't always a bad thing if it's somewhat productive. In other words, this guy was using his debt to get through school, live a life. Granted, not all of it was good. He probably spent a lot of it on like bar stuff and hanging out and hotel vacations on the weekend to the Maldives or whatever. But most of it was his education. The United States is in a similar scenario. We're wasting a ton of money. Entitlement programs that are out of control right now. When I say wasting a lot of money, I mean, just completely entirely. There's the the projection for future spending is not in any way commensurate with our ability to pay for it. Um, social programs we can't afford. But there's also some good spending, a military that can protect our economic vibrance, our borders, our law enforcement apparatus, a court system that can protect contract law. So some of that debt isn't bad. It's not all a catastrophe. Now what's the problem, Joe? What would scare me is if the third year into that Harvard kids education all of a sudden he comes back with a 2.2 GPA and he's not as smart as we thought he was. Rut-row. <laughs> Johnny, <laughs> what would b- <laughs> The analogy to the US economy, folks, hmm. is what happens when big government policies start to take over again. Tax hikes, which suck money out of the economy, the regulatory front. We elect another Democrat. The economy slows down. All of a sudden, our GPA goes down to 1, 1.5 and 2 again. All of a sudden, that $500,000 salary coming out of Harvard ain't there anymore. Now they're like, yeah, we'll give you $50,000. You can start in a mailroom. But I have a million dollars in debt. Yeah, don't care. Too bad. So sad. The point is, we need eight more years of this. We need eight more years of deregulation. We need eight more years of strong tax reform. We need eight more years of vibrant growth to be able to make the debt we have manageable. What terrifies me is the debt is accumulating so quickly and the interest rates so quickly on that debt that the debt is soon going to spiral way past our ability to grow out of it. And we're going to be, sadly, that kid in the mailroom soon if we don't stop this soon. That is the biggest alarm, red, uh, you know, red siren going off, ding, 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 right now. Bell ringing after class. That is what terrifies me. If we could just put a lid on our spending and get a hold of this administrative state while simultaneously keeping these Trump tax cuts and deregulatory reform going, I think we're on a glide path to prosperity you've never seen before. But it is entirely, entirely dependent on us getting a lid on spending, Joe, or growing the living crap out of this economy so fast that the debt doesn't even matter. Ah. But one of those things has to happen. Either he stops spending the million dollars because he's got a 2.2 GPA, he goes down to maybe 20,000 a year with a manageable debt, or he gets his GPA back up to four and he's not worried about the million dollars. You can't, One of those things has to happen, folks. And right now, we're only at the 4.0 GPA, but he's spending $5 million a year. He's blowing it out. Big time bad news. All right, cool. Uh, it's good. I like that segment there. All right, the fake news stories. Amber Athey, at The Daily Call. This is great. I love this piece. Before I get to that, let me uh, uh, do our last read for the day on Christmas. Folks, listen, we all, you know, around the holidays, I just had three cookies. By the way, can I, I want to thank Lee out there. You know who you are. Lee sent a nice video. Um, you know, I don't want to say what it is because, uh, I don't want to out them at all, but, uh, it was a really cool video of Christmas. You know who you are. Uh, that was very nice of you to do that. So thanks a lot, but it's the holidays and uh, I should have said that beginning of the show. I had a little note. We all tend to eat a little rough. I just, I got a gift from one of my, uh, agents, <laughs> agents. I got an agent. That sounds so not me. That sounds so lame. <laughs> agents. I never in my life thought I'd say that ever ever. But I don't know how else to say. I'd be lying. Otherwise, I don't lie to my... Day. I do, unfortunately, now with a lot of stuff taken off, I need to... Other people have to help me out. So one of my, and my agents... <laughs> I can't even say it with a straight face. <laughs> one of my... let's call him one of my friends because I can't do it. One of my friends sent me a box of these cookies that were really good. I ate like three or four of them, which turned into seven of them, which turned into the whole box. Uh, it, was, it was squatting day. I hit a hard workout <laughs> in the gym. And you know, it gets rough around the holidays. So what better way to work on your health your immune system, your cognitive abilities, your general overall health, your looks, and you want to feel better, than to commit now to eating more fruits and vegetables. Now, what's the problem with that? The problem with that is a lot of us, not all of us, but a lot of us are just terrible cooks. Joe isn't. I am. If it wasn't for my my beautiful talented wife, I would be a disaster. She cooks great. I can't cook to save my life. So how do we prepare fresh, high-quality fruits and vegetables we know will improve our health, make us make our health make us feel better? The answer is go to BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. Pick up Field of Greens today. It is real, ground up, fresh, wholesome fruits and vegetables ground up into a delicious tasting powder that will help you start off the new year the healthiest way possible with a good, staple, nutritious diet. This stuff is fantastic. You will look better. You will feel better. My mother-in-law always tells me, Danny, I love the way she says it. She's like, your skin looks good. She watches me on TV sometimes. I'm telling you, it's the BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. Field of greens, baby. Field of greens. Remember Flavor Flav? Yeah, boy. Remember, I love Flavor. 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 I I used to, uh, back in the day, you know, New York, that was it. Everybody, you didn't listen to anything else. Joe grew up in the rock and roll era. I grew up in the rap era in New York. Everybody loved Flavor. You need. The flavor. You, whoa! What a segue A Field of Greens in your life. Although it's an OR at the end of that flavor. Flavor's an A at the end. The other flavor. Go pick up Field of Greens today. Brickhousenutrition.com slash Dan. Pick up a jar of Field of Greens today. <laughs> it is. It's great stuff. I'm not kidding. You'll feel awesome. Knock on wood. I've been, I haven't been. felt great forever. I, I'm always afraid something's going to change. All right. Amber I rarely do I include an article two days in a row in the show notes, but this one's so good, I put it in uh, so nice, I'm going to put it in twice. Fake news stories of 2018. I'm going to go through some of the finer ones. Uh, Fake news story number one. The Washington Post blames the tragic death of a seven-year-old migrant on the Border Patrol. I talked about this last week. This was a grotesque story uh, that should insult the intelligence of just about every uh, rational human being out there. Ladies and gentlemen, that was a horrible story. Everybody knows it. So Christmas, I'm not going to, I talked about it last week, but when the full timeline of events came out, as Amber indicates in her piece, it showed pretty clearly that our heroic border patrol agents, these good men and women that do a good job of keeping our nation secure on our border, did everything they could to to a, you know, to try to save that girl's life. Horrible fake news story. Washington Post should have been ashamed of itself. Number two, CNN and The Hill spread retracted sexual assault claim against Kavanaugh. Oh, my gosh, we all heard this one, folks. These claims against Kavanaugh that got progressively ridiculous as the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation hearing went on. They started out with Christine Blasey Ford. They turned into a bunch of one guy saying, oh, he." Uh, I heard a story about a story. He attacked a woman. A Ladies and gentlemen, these stories were nonsense. Many of them were retracted. Unfortunately, a lot of them were reported by some of these outlets. You can see the in the link. She links to the story, uh, Amber about CNN and the Hill spreading these nonsensical claims against Brett Kavanaugh, which were absurd. That that We had the best week of ratings in a long time during Kavanaugh because people were furious. Remember that show? Oh, man. Yeah. This one's funny. The Boston Globe had to correct their Elizabeth Warren story. As Amber says, <laughs> making her less Native American. Remember this show? The Boston Globe initially reported <laughs> that Elizabeth Warren, <laughs> yeah. a fake Indian Elizabeth Warren, was somewhere between 132nd and 1512th Native American. However, the paper eventually issued two corrections that damaged the, Warren's ancestral claims even further, admitting... That she's likely between 164th and 11,024th Native American, the Globe admitted. Which basically means Joe and I are about as much Native American as Elizabeth Warren. By the way, this story has absolutely decimated her presidential potential. Uh, she is in, then they know it. They know they screwed up big time. This was one of my favorites. And by favorites, I mean one of the more horrible stories of the year, too. The New York Times accuses Nikki Haley of purchasing expensive curtains. Remember this story? Oh, They're living high on the hog. Destroy. Remember this show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Nikki Haley's New York apartment there. Her curtains cost $52,701. However, New York Times' own article later admitted that the curtains were approved in 2016 and <laughs> Nikki Haley had no say in the matter when Barack Obama was the president. Don't let that little fact New York Times get in the way of a doozy of a story you had there and you wonder why we call it fake news. Oh, this one's great. This one's actually still going on. Number five, the media is still blaming Republicans for the Steele dossier. Oh, my gosh. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why, again, nobody trusts the media. These guys are dumpster divers for information. It's all garbage. They're tabloids now. The Republicans had nothing to do with the Steele dossier. The Washington Free Beacon and other Republican campaigns did pay for opposition research on Donald Trump, some of which at the Free Beacon was a contract with Fusion GPS. The dossier was not part of that. That was exclusively a Democrat operation after Hillary Clinton's team took over funding of the opposition research. This is not in dispute. This is a fact. F-A-C-T in Joe Biden language F-A-A-C-R-T-S-R-U-T it is a fact it's a fact we did not pay for the dossier I'm not absolving Republicans of any responsibility read my book I go into Republicans' role in the spreading of the dossier the production and financing of the dossier was a Democrat operation Man, the media will continue to parrot this nonsense. It's embarrassing. All right, this one I'm going to skip six. Oh, this here is a great one. I love this one. CNN accuses Ted Cruz. <laughs> this is one of my favorites. CNN accuses Ted Cruz of being scared to come on their program in wake of the horrible Parkland, Florida shooting. Ted Cruz, afraid to go on the program? Yeah, right. Ladies and gentlemen, what was the problem? He had done a 15 minute interview on the network literally the day prior. Does that, does that Ted Cruz had a debate with Bernie Sanders on the network. Ted listen, you don't have to like Ted Cruz. Love him or hate him. I appreciate what Ted Cruz has done to advance the conservative cause greatly. One of these days I'll I'll tell a personal it's a good one. I I just say, you know, I don't I don't want to bore you now, but about Ted Cruz and why I think he's a lot better man than people give him credit for. Folks, he appeared on the network the day before. You're too scared to appear on the network. I just was there. I was just there. I was there yesterday for 15 minutes. Did you miss that? Do you not pay attention to your own network? Oh, my gosh. Here's some more Kavanaugh stuff. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh. My One of my personal faves. These two reporters at McClatchy. Who continue to claim in an April report that they have evidence that Michael Cohen was in Prague, ladies and gentlemen, with the Prague Michael Cohen thing. You know, if you listen to the show, you're familiar with the story. The dossier against Trump said Michael Cohen, Trump's lawyer, went to Prague to basically arrange this hacking thing. Michael Cohen did not go to Prague. Yet McClatchy, these two reporters in April, continue to say they have evidence of this. There is no evidence of this. I don't know if they're making this up, if a source is playing them for idiots. I'm not really sure. I'm just telling you, Fetch isn't going to happen, and either is Michael Cohen in Prague. And McClatchy won't let it go. Oh, oh, (laughs) oh, this is a definitive list, so I'm trying to, I'm going to wrap it up a little early for Christmas for you all, but I want to be sure I get to the good ones. Andrea Mitchell as Rush Limbaugh. The great Rush Limbaugh says, Andrea Mitchell. Yeah, Joe, you listen. Joe listens to Limbaugh. (laughs) Andrea Mitchell reports that Brenda Snipes, sneaky Snipes, the Broward County election official down here in Florida who can't get through an election without screwing things up. uh, Andrea Mitchell reports that Brenda Snipes is a Republican. And that she's quote hardly a Democrat official or someone doing the bidding of Democratic candidates out there. Uh, Andrea, she's a Democrat. This is not a. Uh, it's not hard. This isn't complicated. She's not. She's. She, I don't know how else to debunk. She's not a Republican. She's just not. There's just no Republican. It's not a. Re- she's not a Republican. She's not a, That's not what a registration says. She's not a Republican. She, I, I didn't mean to say it's. I was talking about it. That, that'd be rude. I'm not talking about Brenda Snipes. I'm not being like that. I was talking about a registration form. She's not. It doesn't read that. She's a Democrat. A Democrat with a D. It doesn't even sound like Republican. Republican. It's. She's a Democrat. It's not what a registration says. Oh. Oh, 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 this was a good one. This, the, You know what? This will be my last one. Sorry, because there's a lot on here. But Lanny Davis. Remember Lanny Davis and the Trump Tower meeting? Yeah. Lanny Davis went out and CNN reported in July that Michael Cohen, Trump's lawyer, again, was prepared to tell Robert Mueller that the president had knowledge in advance of the infamous Trump Tower meeting, which I still believe was a setup between Don Jr. and the Russians. But Cohen's lawyer Lanny Davis said in August that CNN's reporters got "quote mixed up" and Cohen had no information related to the Trump Tower meeting. <laughs> kind of a screw up, there, guys. Don't you think? Oh boy. Oh, let's do one more here. All right, looking for some good ones here. There's a lot in here. This is the definitive guide. I read through the whole thing, and I, I I'd have a list, but you're, there's a lot of Kavanaugh stuff. Oh, 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 okay. Promise, this is the last one. (laughs) This is a Kavanaugh one, but it's just, it's so stupid. Remember Zena Bash? She was the woman sitting behind Brett Kavanaugh and the Brett Kavanaugh hearings, and someone was communicating with her. You could see her on screen all the time. She was like, oh, I think she was over Kavanaugh's left shoulder. At one point, someone's communicating with her and being at the Kavanaugh hearings were broadcast live. She gives the okay symbol. So, of course, CNN falls for a 4chan scam and believes the OK symbol, which I joked in my viral speech, too, because it's so stupid. There's a 4chan scam that the OK symbol is a symbol of white power. It's a scam. What happened? Networks fell for it. People reported out there that, yes, Listen. She was flashing a white power symbol. No, no, idiots. She was saying okay to someone who had clearly texted her or something who was watching the television, you knuckleheads. What is wrong with you people? Oh, my gosh. Well, listen, I hope that was fine. I get a lot more. They're in the article, but it could go on for a long time. I figured we'd wrap up a little early today on Christmas. Spend time with your family. I hope you are enjoying your day. For those of you listening to the show, cooking a Christmas dinner, enjoy it. Uh, Christmas is a very important holiday for me. I am a practicing Christian. I'm a sinner. Uh, Unfortunately, I wish I'd pray every night to be a better man, for the strength to embrace the suffering I need to embrace, to join the Lord Almighty in the second creation. But it is an important day for me outside of the gift giving. Uh, I've been saved by Jesus Christ a long time ago. So I want to acknowledge that on Christmas Day. And I want to thank you all for everything you've done for me. Uh, Joe and I have had an extraordinary year. This show has vaulted itself into uh, the sat number two position in conservative podcast. Largely, thank you. So Merry Christmas. I really, really deeply appreciate everything you've done for us. It means the world to me. Thanks for all your feedback on the show. And I will see you all tomorrow. Yeah, boy! You just heard the Dan Bongino Show.